Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. In John chapter 2, Jesus shows up at a very crowded wedding in the city of Cana. So he's there, he walks in, and no one really knows yet who Jesus is. So Jesus has not performed a single miracle yet. They've heard that he's a teacher, but they don't understand what he's capable of. The one person at the wedding that does understand is his mother, Mary. So when the banquet master finds out that there's no wine left at the wedding, Mary gets involved. Mary sends the banquet master towards Jesus, and Jesus uses this very interesting phrase in John chapter 2, and Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. So in John chapter 5, Jesus is now in a conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. So he's there talking with the Samaritan woman. She's expressing her deep hurts as a Samaritan, as a second-class citizen. And Jesus uses a very similar phrase in John chapter 5. And Jesus says, the time is coming. The hour is coming. It's not yet, but it's on its way when all the children of God will worship together in one place. So his hour was coming, but it had not come yet. In John chapter 7, there is an event that happens where Jesus is teaching at the temple, and a mob rises up. It's crazy, and the religious leaders want to arrest Jesus, and the Bible tells us in John chapter 7 that Jesus slips out of the crowd, and he's not arrested. Why? Because his time had not yet come. In John chapter 8, Eight, there's a very similar episode that occurs where Jesus is about to get arrested and then he doesn't get arrested. And the writer John explains to us the reason why, and the reason why is because his time had not yet come. The hour had not yet come. Today we're going to open a seven-week journey through John's account of the Last Supper. So in your Bibles, this starts at John chapter 13, and it ends all the way in John chapter 17. Let's start right now by reading the first verse of John chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Can we just pray as we get started tonight and give honor to the word of God? Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone. And as we spend time in your word on this night, I pray that you would be glorified, that as we lean into this text, that it would come to life to us, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, shape us Let us not be brittle in your hands tonight. Allow us to be moldable for your kingdom and for your glory. We need you. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you were a Jewish family living in the city of Milwaukee, getting ready to celebrate Passover in 2023, you would have this little booklet that every Jewish family would have called the Haggadah. Haggadah, it simply means uh, the word order. And it is a booklet, a short, sometimes they're 
anywhere from 12 to 60 pages long, and it's going to tell you the order of how to celebrate Passover. And usually there's 13 to 14 sections in this instructional handbook of how to celebrate this night, this Passover night. Now, the book itself was written about 100 AD, but its practices go all the way back to the Old Testament. So John and all the apostles would not have had a book, Haggadah, but they would have been familiar with the practices of Haggadah as they begin their Passover meal. I want to tell you what the first instruction is. So the first instruction, the first step to celebrating Passover is to locate the youngest person in the room. And I'm looking tonight, and I'm trying to see, is Asher over there? It's Japheth who's sitting over there. Yep, Japheth is definitely going to beat out Eli. Is Eli gone? Okay, Japheth is the winner. So Japheth is the youngest person in the room tonight. And so if we were celebrating Passover, Japheth would have a very special job at Passover. And his job was to get the night started. And he would get the night started by asking this question. The youngest person in the room would ask, why is this night different from all other nights? I want us to do our best tonight to ask that question of John chapter 13. As Jesus sits down to eat one last meal with his disciples, why is this night different than all other nights? I believe the beginning of the answer to that question is in the first verse that we read. This night was different because Jesus knew that his hour had come. You know, from the day that Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, the hour was approaching. When Jesus was an infant, his family escaped out into Egypt so that he would not die. Why was he saved? He was saved because his hour had not yet come. But now, in John chapter 13, Jesus sits down to dinner, to Passover, with his disciples, and he knows the hour has come. It's It's now. You know, he had already celebrated two Passovers with his disciples, but this night was not going to be like those nights. This night, this meal would stand all by itself. One of the really interesting, unique things about John chapter 13 through 17 is the amount of, of speech that Jesus has in those five chapters. So if you are someone who has a red-letter Bible, you might look at John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, and you will see that there's a lot of red text in there. And that's not totally unique. There are other places in the Gospels where Jesus talks for a very long time. The Sermon on the Mount would be a good example. The parables, uh, the Sermon on the Plain, are all places where Jesus speaks for chapters and chapters in the Gospels. What is unique about this section of Scripture, it is the only time that one of Jesus' discourses is held in private. So think about that. Every other time you hear Jesus speak in the Gospels, he's in the crowds, he's on the hillside, he's in the valley, he is speaking to these masses of people, to a diverse audience, people that were filled with Jewish people and Greek people, with believers and cynics and Pharisees and political leaders and religious leaders. But now, in John 13, for the longest period of speech we find in the Gospels, he sits down with just his people with just believers, with just his closest disciples. That opening verse we read says, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Can you think about what it felt like after three years of traveling through, the, through Israel with Jesus? And now it's over. There, there will be no more crowds, no more big sermons, no more feeding the 5,000. It's done 
but he has one last thing to pour out, and he's going to pour it out to the ones that he loves the most. And he is going to love his people, his disciples, to the very end. Let's continue reading in John chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. The word of God says, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. You know, in ancient Israel's all in ancient Israel, all of the paths were dirt, and all of the shoes were open-toed. And because you walked everywhere that you went, washing your feet was an important part of hygiene. But it wasn't just about hygiene; it was also about hospitality. It would be the same as if someone came over to your house and you took their coat for them, or you offered them a glass of water as they walk in when they arrived. It was important to offer this hospitality, but it was also a humble role to be the person to give this hospitality. You know, if I was wearing my nice clothes, I wouldn't want to squat down on the dirt floor and, and, and wash your feet. I wouldn't want to put my clean hands into your dirty foot water. It would be a humble role for me to take on if I was going to give you this hospitality. You know, can we talk about Jesus' authority in verse 3, John says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Over what? Everything. Jesus was not only the Son of God. Jesus was God, and he had authority over everything. He had power over everything. And when he sees 12 dirty men walk into dinner with their 24 dirty feet, what does Jesus do? Jesus washes their feet. Jesus takes off his robe and he puts a towel around his waist. You know, this is the costume of a house servant. He is dressing as the poorest, lowest state person in the household. He had authority over everything, and yet Jesus takes on the role of a servant. And without saying anything, Jesus doesn't explain himself. He just starts walking around the room as if I were to walk around the room tonight and started washing his disciples' feet. I feel like we should bring this uh, experience a little bit into our world in 2023, and so I want to run with me here. I want to imagine that you are a new employee at Northwestern Mutual across the street. Do we have anyone who actually works at Northwestern Mutual in the room? Not tonight. Great. They all stayed home. But what's interesting to me is, you know, that, that's a massive building. There's, I think there's 3,000 employees that work over there. And they've all got the, their cubicle spaces. So you're not, you're not a high-tier employee. You're a new employee. So you don't have a nice, fancy office. You have a messy cubicle. And you're doing your work. You're doing a great job. And you're working one day. And you realize that behind you has walked into your cubicle the CEO of Northwestern Mutual. Like, you don't, you've never met this person, but you saw them on the training video. And so you're aware of who they are, and they walk in, and you just, you know, you sit up straight real fast. What's going on? And uh, this person walks over, and they uh, pick up your jacket off of the, the counter, and they hang it up on a hook for you. And they see that there's a little coffee stain under your mug, so they grab a towel, and they wipe off the coffee stain. And then, I don't know about you, but if you don't clean that computer screen very often, occasionally you sneeze or cough, and there's just kind of like some some grime going on there. So then the CEO of Northwestern Mutual grabs a towel and starts cleaning the spit off of your computer screen. Th this would make me feel awkward, right? 
This would make me feel awkward, and I believe that the disciples also felt very awkward as this was happening. I think the million-dollar question in the room was, what is going on? Why is someone with so much authority taking on such a humble position? But here's the problem with awkward situations and difficult questions, is that most people don't say anything. So, like, you're sitting in your cubicle, this guy walks in, and you might do, like, a, hello, or a, a, a good morning, hi. But in your head, you're thinking, what's going on? What's going on? And not everyone will say something. It takes just a certain type of person, a bold person, a brave person, maybe a loud person, to actually say the question that everyone else in the room is thinking. What is going on? Why is a person with so much authority in such a humble role? I think all of the disciples owe Peter a thank you note after this conversation to say, Peter, thanks for asking the question all of us were thinking. What is going on? Let's read what happens when Peter begins to ask this question. Here's verses 6 through 10 of chapter 13. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then... Wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has been bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. This is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. Washing the disciples' feet was a practical necessity, but Jesus is using it as a spiritual metaphor. Jesus is trying to explain the metaphor to Peter, but Peter isn't going to understand it on his first attempt. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Well, what other experience is Peter familiar with that involves a ritual cleansing? What's it? It's water baptism, right? The immersion in water, the death of the old self, the resurrection of the new. And Peter, as he's trying to figure out the metaphor, as he's trying to figure out what is going on, Peter is asking, oh, oh, is tonight the same as water baptism? Is, is that what's happening? Because if it is, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. Lord, baptize me again. And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, that's not the metaphor. That's not what this is. Jesus says, a person who has been bathed all over not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. Jesus says, you've already been baptized. Your sins have been forgiven. You are in the kingdom. You don't need to be baptized again. I want to remind you in the room tonight, anyone in this room who has called upon the name of Jesus Christ, who has given him lordship in your life, the grip of salvation on your soul is strong. When he cleanses you of sin, you are washed clean and you don't need to be washed again. You are one of the 11 disciples with a heart that is inclined towards Christ and we are with him and we don't need to be baptized again, but what do we need? If that's not what's happening, then what is going on? Why is someone with so much authority taking on such a humble role? Let's read verses 13 through 17. Jesus takes his uh, cloak, he puts his robe back on, he sits down at the table, and he says this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Here's the simple instruction. Wash each other's feet. Jesus says, look at what I did tonight, and now I want you to start doing the same for each other. So, Was this about forgiving sins? No, because only Jesus can forgive sins. We cannot do that for each other. But it is about purification, is about sanctification. Jesus says, yes, your sins are forgiven. You are in the kingdom, but this world, it's going to get messy. You're going to get some dust stuck on your feet. And you are going to get some dirt stuck on your feet as you're walking through this life, and you are going to need your brothers and sisters in Christ to purify you. You are going to need them, and they are going to need you. You know, after leading worship for the last 20 years, um, one of the things that can always be challenging is repetitive events like Christmas and Easter or even worship services. If you read through our annual report that we had at business meeting on Sunday night, one of the stats we have in there is we counted them up this year, and our worship teams, all of our worship teams, led over 500 worship services in 2022, which is a lot. It's a lot of services to plan. It's a lot of repetition to the pattern of our lives, and this can become challenging, and it can become discouraging. One of the things that is always a phenomenal gift are the people who come up to any of our team members after a service and say, thank you for leading worship today. That was powerful. That helped me connect with God. I feel so encouraged. Thank you for sharing your gifts today. And that that, that creates a lift. It helps any Christian who has someone to come alongside them and encourage them, it gives them the grace they need to help kick some of the dust off of their feet. Those words are washing feet. Now, I, I can hear the other, other voices in the room who would say, well, yeah, but I mean, like, what if honestly I didn't enjoy it? Like, what if, what if it wasn't great? Like, you know, what if, what if we just flatter people and we're just saying all of these nice things and we just pump up their egos and it's bigger and bigger and bigger? Like, isn't that also going to create, you know, some kind of issue? There's a, an old pastor by the name of Mark Rutland, and Mark Rutland says it this way. He says that every church has only two types of people. It has pumpers and poppers. And they're the ones who pump you up and then those who are pop you down. So you either are going to be washing feet or you're going to be flinging mud wash each other's feet. Mark Rutland also has some phenomenal insights about the rethinking the word disgrace. I think we often use the word disgrace as a, uh, a noun, like someone is a disgrace. But what if we consider the word disgrace more as a verb? And maybe that's someone we know, how is it that we can disgrace each other? How is it that we can remove grace, how that we can ungrace the people that are, in our, that are in our lives. You know, we know that everyone who is in Christ has received grace as unmerited favor. You did not earn your salvation. You did not earn your forgiveness. You did not earn grace. And yet once we have received grace, old habits can cause us to disgrace the people that are around us. You know, can you think about a, a husband and how a husband can disgrace their wife, you know, by removing 
forgiveness from the relationship by removing compassion, by removing affection? Can you think about how a parent can disgrace their child by removing patience from the relationship, by removing understanding, by removing kindness? I even think that we can disgrace ourselves you know, that God, God looks at us and he calls us clean. He calls us made right with him. He calls us sons and daughters of the kingdom. And yet we can look at ourselves in the mirror and we can say, you idiot, how can you not be better by now? How can you not be smarter by now? And we can ungrace ourselves. Washing the feet of the people of God is the glorious, never-ending application of grace. I want to say that again. Washing the feet of the people of God is the glorious, never-ending application of grace. I want to call you tonight to the glorious, never-ending application of grace. In your closest relationships with your family and with your church, you know, we're sitting at tables tonight, and I find that the right setting to begin a sermon series into the Last Supper, that you are like one of the 11, that are the ones who he loved the most. And as you sit at a table tonight, he wants to pour into you his best love to his chosen disciples. And as he washes your feet, he wants to teach you to start washing each other's feet. That we can look at the people around us, the people that God has called us to, the people that he has put near to our hearts, and we can wash their feet. We won't disgrace them. We will grace them. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit into this room, and we pray that as we spend time in prayer here, that your Holy Spirit would do his phenomenal work. I pray that your Holy Spirit would first convict us Every one of us can be guilty of mudslinging, that in the weariness of life, in the challenges of life, we can forget about the good grace that you have placed upon us, and we can find ourselves scrapping around, we can find ourselves pushing and shoving, and we can find ourselves disgracing the brothers and sisters of Christ that we have. We can find ourselves removing grace from our spouse or our friend or our parent or our child or our, our, our fellow brother and sister in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would alert us to those attitudes in our heart. And then I pray that you would both reprove and improve us tonight. That as we surrender to you, I pray, Lord, that you would take these hands and you would use these hands to start washing feet. I pray, Lord, that you would fill this room with graceful people, with people who in every interaction with someone that they know well or someone that they barely know, that you would teach us how to wash feet in the way that you did, that you would teach us how to be part of the never-ending application of grace in people's lives, and we would bring that light and bring that strength to them. We love you. We thank you for the good work that you are doing. We trust you. We surrender to you. And we look forward to seeing all of these promises accomplished in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.